tonight on the Purple Stuff Podcast. Mysterious blobs rained down on the town of Oakville, Washington. It wasn't hail. It was a gelatinous like material. A satanic arsonist videotapes his evil handiwork. I've never run across anything as eerie as this tape. And a UFO the size of a football field terrorizes New York. Unit 5 to base. I'm seeing it too. It's hovering above my car. Join Jay and Matt as they dive deep into that creepy TV series, Unsolved Mysteries. So we're finally going to do it, Jay. A whole show dedicated to Unsolved Mysteries. We are very excited. We've been talking about this one for a long time. Yeah, it's wild that we never got around to it. I think it's one of those things where it just seems like it's so big for it us is. that it, it, it's hard to like do an hour show on something like this. Yeah, it seemed insurmountable because there's so many seasons. I picture Unsolved Mysteries as being like this thing from my childhood, and then I realized that it's basically been produced through last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had Robert Stack in hologram form, came back after Farina. <laughs> so uh, after a few specials in 87, the show's proper run began in 1988. God, this was one of my big must-watches back then. How about you? Yeah, for the first few seasons, I was heavily into it. I used to watch it on a small black-and-white TV in my kitchen. People listening are probably like, a black and white TV? Yeah, because like late 80s, early 90s, we still had a tiny black and white TV in my kitchen, and watching it on there was great. All of your shitty televisions were black and white. Like, you had your main living room, which was whatever you got in the past two years, yeah. and then dotted throughout the house were like 15 <laughs> black and white televisions. Yeah. So it's like, my parents were watching big time stuff on Wednesday night, and I'd be in the kitchen, had my snack and my drink and unsolved mysteries. Yeah, and plus, like, being in the kitchen gave you proximity to your parents, which you needed back then, because you never knew what this one was going to throw at you. <laughs> to me, this was like a real-life version of Tales from the Dark Side. What was great about it is that you had variety, and that's one of the things that I love about shows like this. You had murders and robberies, but then you also had the UFOs and the cryptids and the unexplained stuff. Yeah, and then if you had to take a piss, there was Lost Loves. <laughs> <laughs> a bathroom match. I gotta find the nurse who delivered me. <laughs> there was I a, fucking hate that shit. Yeah, there was a lot that was like, all right, I'll uh, I'll be right back. Yeah, gonna, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind them so much. Like, they're always the longest segments. It's like you get five minutes with a UFO or a ghost or whatever, and then 25 minutes with Gertrude and her hunts for her high school sweetheart. <laughs> I had no patience, even for the stuff that I think a lot of people enjoyed. Like, I don't care if somebody robbed a bank and dug a hole out of the bank to go escape. I could care less. Give me the UFOs. I fucking love that shit. They call them the mole. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this is the best thing is that you had all kinds of different stories on there. And not only that, but they told the stories with these dramatizations and special effects. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. The reenactments, they were they were almost even lo-fi in their time, but in a good way. They always had that home movie vibe. They had the home movie vibe, but they also felt like, like, well, wait, this is like on NBC, I think, but it feels like it should be on Channel 9, you know? Oh, like, totally, <laughs> totally. It's a world filled with ghosts, aliens, monsters, magic, and murder, and it was all real. I mean, when we were little kids, this had a big impact on us. I think the whole show really got sent home because of Robert Stack. Oh, God, he was so good. Walking around in his trench coat. I mean, man... And his mannerisms, his he had like a snark about Ma him. I mean, he totally had snark, but mannerisms, I don't know. It was like you wanted to form a cheering section if he walked two steps to the left. That dude was stoic. <laughs> well, that's why he didn't move his face. But if he moved like his lip a little bit or if his eye twinged a little bit, they're like, oh, man, he thinks this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he always had that subtle way of letting you know when he wasn't in on this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, this is a great story, but I don't believe in any of it. 
But man, what a freaking host. This show wouldn't have been what it was without him, oh, for sure. And that voice and the theme song. Which, by the way, I mean, I still watch Unsolved Mysteries all the time. It's on streaming networks, on basically every streaming network. Yeah, on and Am like Amazon Prime and stuff. It's on Prime, it's on YouTube. But even to this day, that music, it still hits me the same way. Like, I get creeped out. I don't want to be alone in the dark level creeped out. You know, I always love that theme song to it, but the one thing that I realized as an adult is that it really does just repeat the same notes over and over again. Like, you want it to start going somewhere. Like, even the Exorcist theme, which I think it reminds me of, goes to a different place eventually. I don't know if I'm down with throwing a uh, third verse guitar solo into the Unsolved Mysteries theme. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Cut to Slash playing in a beach. In a desert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So for this podcast, our Unsolved Mysteries podcast, we are going to run through six of our, I guess we can call them favorite segments. Yeah. I mean, favorite or ones that we just want to highlight. The only subject we're really going out of our way to avoid are the bad murder cases because we don't want to inadvertently disrespect any victims yeah and it's actually very hard to pick a, a segment that is light-hearted enough to talk about on the show yeah i mean i don't think we really succeeded on that front but at least you know <laughs> nobody's getting literally eviscerated by right murderers exactly so uh who do you want to start tonight jay um i think you should start okay <laughs> Each year in the United States, more than 200,000 people become the victims of arsonists. Each fire is an individual tragedy. In many cases, victims are left not only homeless, but injured or dead. You're about to have the rare and disturbing opportunity to go inside the mind of an arsonist. An arsonist who police believe made a videotape of the fire, he said. The story starts with an innocent discovery. One segment that really did a number on me as a kid was about the Stockton Arsonist. Oh, yes. A classic. Yeah, very classic segment. This originally aired back in 1990. If anyone's looking for it on a streaming platform, I believe it's season three, episode one. The short summary here is that this family finds a jacket on the side of the road and it has a videotape in its pocket. And of course, like they bring it back home. They have like a big family watch party. <laughs> Which it seemed a little strange to me. It's like you find this video on the side of the road. Maybe you don't invite your like five-year-old kids to watch it with you. It was 1989. There was like no chance that it wasn't low-budget porn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, that's like the literal most family-friendly thing you could hope for. Yeah. But no, it ends up being this creepy footage of a house fire with someone narrating it in this like weird monster voice with allusions to Satan. I call hell, my hell, the whole sky is black with smoke. But like with the tape and the jacket, they found these heavy metal audio cassettes. They had the, the heavy metal cassettes, the mortar and pestle, whatever it's called, and a videotape of an arson fire. Yeah. Very you. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you and I, we grew up in the peak of satanic panic, and we've talked about that on the show before, and even by the time this episode was on, this was 1990, the kids in my neighborhood, including me, like, we still totally believed that there were Satanists in the woods. Yeah, we used to hear stories about it and stuff. I mean, none of my friends were into it, but I could tell you that there was one kid in our grade who everyone thought was into that stuff. In what way did he broadcast this? Was it like the trench coat and long hair? Well, I mean, he didn't broadcast it. I think people just assumed it was him. They just put it on him. Yeah, we yeah. had a few. And, I mean, they played it up a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, just to be clear, when I say Satanist, I don't mean like the ones that you find today on Twitter who tell you to eat like extra cake or whatever. Like bad <laughs> Satanists that do terrible things. Right, right. <laughs> Very like cliche horror movie Satanists. Exactly. So back then, the thing about this segment that killed me was that narration. Look at it, Omar! Look at that. Do you see what I could do, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see what I can do? <laughs> when you watch the segment now, you, you get that it's 
a voice of a troubled kid. Yeah, but but <laughs> there's something about it that needs to be discussed. Okay, because... so what do you? I mean, this just to establish this frightened me as a kid. He kept saying like instead of do it, he would say like dwat like he just had this weird like accent about him he was being theatrical he was being very theatrical and then he says the fire department is coming to put it out what a laugh like he's playing the joker or something the fire department is trying to put it out what a laugh the tone of his voice all right it reminded me of when i used to play with my wrestling figures and everyone else was sleeping he was like almost whispering but yeah he was yelling <laughs> WWF, he's <laughs> the continental champion. He was, <laughs> was yell whispering. It was bizarre. I, mean, I, mean, I know could, that yell whisper. You know it. I mean, you didn't apply it to such dire circumstances, right. but yeah, that was your quiet bedroom voice, and then this was his quiet. I set the fire out in the woods voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the one thing though that just gets me is that, like, when you hear it now. It's so obviously a teenager, and in the segment, they're acting like it really is like the, the fucking devil. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. You know that's a kid. A troubled teen who just went too far with uh, tomfoolery. Yeah. But back then, 1990, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and I think that's what scared me about this segment was this idea that these people were just out there. They could be anywhere. This was like just everyday suburbia. So I would look out my windows and be like, we were surrounded by woods back then, and I just wonder... We had our own cinematic Satanist arsonist. I mean, yeah, you don't want those things to happen, but also it just seems so much more exciting than to not have anything happen. Uh, I mean, that's an ex extreme take on what I was getting at. But yes, I will at least admit that the world seemed a lot more fascinating in the Unsolved Mysteries lens. <laughs> Did you happen to notice the arson investigator? His name was George Wells. Yes, and he was a character. He should have been on Perfect Strangers, the Larry part. Yeah, or WrestleMania 2. <laughs> oh, God. We had an agreement. We don't talk about George Wells vomiting at WrestleMania 2. I've never run across anything as eerie as this tape. Um, it, was, it frightened me, as a matter of fact. Uh, I thought about it that night when I went to bed. We were facing the lake at the time, and there's this uh, head uh, of something or other swimming around out there, and uh, uh, we were all convinced that uh, it was the Ogopogo. Very big. Very, it was very scary. Oh, about two feet out of the water, the head part, and uh, the head itself was round. And then it, uh, the, the kind of a neck part went down the water and it had a great big long tail. For my first segment tonight, Matt, we're going to season two, episode 17 from 1990. And this is an episode about Ogopogo, which <laughs> is the Canadian version of the Loch Ness Monster, basically. Ogopogo, a legend, Jay. Up in the Great White North, they have this legend. It's like a water beast. Some people call it a lake demon. A classic sea serpent. Right. Not like a Loch Ness plesiosaur, whatever you call it deal. This is just like a kind of a big snake. Right. And it does supposedly have some sort of like fin or flipper or something, because that's what we'll talk about in a little bit. But this is like the best part of the creature is his name, Ogopogo. I just love his name. It brings to mind uh, old overalls and pogo sticks. <laughs> yeah, like, why has there not been an Ogopogo movie? Or has there been? A, like, I'm now, like, 50 people are like, dude, there was one on the Sci-Fi Channel in 1998. <laughs> There's actually three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a four-movie series literally titled Ogopogo 1 through 4. Is, it, is there really? No, I have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I gotta get on that. No, uh, it's a great name for sure. I think it might be my favorite of all the lake monster names. It really is. You best. have Champ, Loch Ness, and then Ogopogo. Come on. <laughs> so there's been hundreds of sightings of this potential monster, which I think is really interesting compared to other cryptids, which like no one could ever seem to capture at all. And the ones that have been captured on film are probably fake. 
I was taking pictures of the kids and the wife, and bingo, all of a sudden, the Ogopogo, supposedly, whatever it may have been, appeared on Lake Okanagan, and I was right there with my camera. This seems to be actually more real to an extent, which I think is the coolest part about it, because the travel and tourism of Canada, they have this monster off limits. You can't hunt the beast because that's yes. what brings people to Canada. Yes, is Ogopogo. they mentioned that in the segment that you actually it's against the law to hunt Ogopogo. Yeah, which I think is fantastic because they're actually saying, hey, we believe in this legend. I mean, they're either saying that or they're trying to boost hotel business. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess those aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been so many sightings of this thing that have said this thing could be 40 to 60 <laughs> feet long. Yeah. Okay. So number one, yeah, there have been a lot of sightings in general, but you're talking about something that you, you see a little ripple in the lake and you think you saw a Gopogo. So of course there's going to be a lot of sightings. And number two, this 40 to 60 feet thing, I don't know. You're going to have to lead me through because I wasn't buying the evidence that there was anything that long in that water. Yeah, there's a little bit of a stretch. But all these videos that these people who have sighted this creature have, I think you have like a 75% chance of seeing this thing if you <laughs> go to Canada. Everybody who's everybody. ever been at this lake, and yeah. it's not a small lake, everybody has seen Ogopogo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The way it seems in this segment is that you could literally walk to any lake in Canada and see it. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those prize grabbers where you, you, know, you just keep playing until you win. Yeah, so then they go into this whole dissertation about how this monster could potentially live in this latitude band around the globe where they channel through lakes and out to the ocean and then to like 60 lakes across the globe or something like that. Right. They have this whole like lake monster network connecting various <laughs> oceans and lakes together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they almost are like subtly suggesting that they're working as a unit. Yeah. Like they have this whole, you know, secret society. <laughs> yeah. It's Ogopogo, I tell you. The film shows a dark object diving, reappearing in a sequence of moves that indicates that it's moving out from shallow water into deeper water for a large dive into deeper water and then did not reappear. They were able to come up with like a theory about how they thought it was a beaver. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's kind of just shitting on all these guys that came forward with their films. It's like, hey, dude, your video is a beaver. All right. We're going to have a talk. Let me have a drink of water first. Okay. So the beaver that you're mentioning. Yeah. The problem is that it's so obviously a beaver once they show the beaver footage. Yeah, but then the guy's like, no, no, see, his head is down a little further. <laughs> that is, uh, I, mean, I mean, that was like when uh, Vanilla Ice tried yeah, to say ding, they need to rip ding, off ding, under... Ding, yeah. <laughs> For those who want to call it a beaver, I'll say no way. An otter, I can't buy it. Uh, miniature Ogopogo, in all probability. They literally have an expert guy on the camera holding up a photo of Ogopogo and a photo of a <laughs> river the same otter. Thing. <laughs> and it looks like it looks like just one of the photos is in color and the other is in black and white. They're exactly the same. On this side, we have a still photograph from, taken from the video recording by Mr. Chaplin. On this side, we have a color photograph of a beaver with its tail held vertically in the air just prior to a tail slap. See, when the beaver, when he flips his fin... Then his head goes down, but the other one, yeah, which is <laughs> like the weakest the argument. Well, if you look at it, my my beaver's got a different head. No, no. <laughs> and then he's like, "Well, look at my footage. My monster is thirty to forty feet long." I'm like, "No, it's like the length of a beaver." <laughs> Where are you but, getting these but, numbers? Well, all right, let's be honest though. This guy Ken Chaplin, his beaver had no hair. Oh shit! I don't know. I mean, is that <laughs> it, that sounds like unsubstantiated rumory to me? It was a non furry beaver. Okay. <laughs> ah. But anyway, so I've talked enough about Ogopogo. I want to just mention that Robert Stack hiding in these trees with the trench coat talking about <laughs> Ogopogo oh my God. is you know amazing. What it, it, it's so funny because first you see that shot and like, this has got to be green screen. And then he walks in like back of some <laughs> yeah. of the leaves just to prove that he's but, there. Like, dude, can you just imagine you're in the woods and like Robert Stack pops out from beyond the tree? <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, they're shooting this fucking beaver in the lake. Turn your cameras. The real action's right here. I, I saw Robert Stack. 
Is Ogopogo real? Well, the Canadian government has declared Ogopogo an endangered species, and hunting it is against the law. Most of the people who live on the shores of Lake Okanagan need no further proof. For them, Ogopogo is very real indeed. In early February of 1987, Alan and Debbie Tallman brought home a bunk bed they had purchased at a second-hand furniture shop. You got that, partner? They assembled the bed and stored it in their basement. right, didn't when the bunk bed was moved upstairs, it marked the beginning of nine months of horror for the Tallmans. From the moment the bed was first slept in, the house appeared to be haunted by spirits that terrorized first the children, then the entire family. So the Tallman house is widely considered to be one of the scariest segments of the show, and certainly the scariest ghost-related segment, Jay. I'm with you on that 100%. I was way into the ghost segments as a kid. I still am. And they routinely wrecked me back then. Like, just killed me. Just total nightmare fuel. Changed my world. I will say that there's a lot of episodes that have ghost stuff that... Yeah, I'm not going to say it's on the laughable side, but this is definitely one of the more scary ghost shows. Well, I mean, maybe not laughable, but affable. Because half the ghosts on the show are just, like, smiling. Yeah! Exactly. <laughs> hey, I'm haunting this restaurant, which you can get dinner at for $13.99. <laughs> That's what separates this segment from the others, is that the ghosts in this one, they are dicks, Jay. I started to see this um, fog starting to appear on the floor, and a voice came out of it, and it says, you're dead. Let's hold off for a second, because you said the Tallman is a family it looks like tall man and tall man makes me think of phantasm i'm surprised you didn't jump in as soon as i started with that tidbit <laughs> I know. but like <laughs> it's like let me, i think i have to train myself to say tallman so i the, got you now that i'm Tallmans. reading it the tall yeah. tall man house yeah that's where you yeah. want to go so the tallmans the tallmans the tallmans house this segment originally aired in october of 88 I've never been able to find it on the streaming episodes. I know you said that you thought you did. Well, I thought I did, but, you know, I don't... <laughs> you're going to take my word for it? Well, that's the thing. I mean, one of us is wrong, one of us is right. I don't yeah. know. If it's not there, I can only assume there's some weird rights issue, but you yeah. can find it on YouTube either way. Right. And so you've got this ordinary family living in an everyday suburb in Wisconsin Family buys a used bunk bed, and as soon as they bring it in the house, the shit hits the fan, Jay. The kids keep getting sick. Objects are, like, flying around the house. There's a scene where the poor little brother is in bed, and he's just petrified at night because his radio is doing stuff on its own. I was afraid for my life. I also was very afraid for my family. I had visions of coming home from work and actually seeing my family destroyed. Um brutally murdered or or just laying their dead it gets even worse though because the dad starts hearing voices calling to him and eventually the son and the daughter have run-ins with what's described as a fiery ghost witch the Tomlin's two-year-old daughter was sleeping in the bunk bed she began to see things in her room at one time my daughter had talked about um, a witch behind her door um, and the fire a lot of it was fire oh my god that witch the thought of her <laughs> just yes. killed me as a kid okay so they get this bunk bed and they build it in the basement they said they set the bunk bed up upstairs so then i'm like okay they had to take it apart again and do double the work to bring it upstairs after they already built it wouldn't you just build it in the bedroom <laughs> that would be logical for sure it is uh i mean if this had an imdb listing this would be a plot oversight to add to the trivia section yeah, the bunk bed didn't really pay off, but I still thought this was like a super effective segment. Just a house of horrors where there's all kinds of crazy shit going on. Yeah, but then there's that other part where the guy, the husband, says he's got to go eat dinner, but then it says he's eating lunch. I caught, and then the, said, I caught yeah. the dinner lunch disparity as well. <laughs> And then he's like, I gotta go eat dinner. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, maybe Which that was it? maybe he was aware that this was for a national audience and he didn't want to get tripped up with all that Bible belt lunch dinner nonsense. Because the, the minute he said he's going to eat lunch, I kind of had this warm, fuzzy feeling like the lunches of yore when you had a little sandwich and 
in a cookie. And to be fair, if you can't keep the facts straight of which meal you're eating, how do you expect us to believe? <laughs> we can't believe your dumb story. This is all made up after you don't know if it's lunch bunk, or dinner. You're making a bunk bed in your basement. <laughs> yeah. How the fuck are you going to get it to the second floor? <laughs> oh, God. So I think the thing that really got me about this is that the stuff that happens is exactly the kind of stuff that we always feared would happen to us. Like that whole thing where, oh, my God, if I look at the television, it's going to turn on by itself. Oh if God, I go in the yeah. laundry room, is some spirit just going to appear out of nothing? A few days later, Alan was working late. He asked a relative of his to watch over the two girls until they fell asleep. Alan's relative was a complete skeptic. That night, he changed his mind. The same specter appeared. <laughs> it's like that suburban nightmare, like Amityville horror type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And the reenactment footage is so lo-fi. Like, even by the standards of the show, it feels like such a home movie, and that just makes it so much scarier. It feels like it could have been on Tales from the Dark Side. It's almost like a really, really well-produced found footage film in a, in a lot of ways. Like, it has <laughs> yeah. that vibe. Everything is vignetted. It's really creepy. I'm an old skeptic now, but when I watched the segment, it was just yesterday... I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to leave into my lit room to go into a dark room. <laughs> it still has that effect on me. The Tallmans have moved to another city now, and so far they've experienced no paranormal phenomena. A new family moved into the Tallmans house last April, and they've had no problems. Perhaps in the world of spirits, as well as in the world of human beings, it is possible simply to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The quiet beauty of New York's Hudson River Valley belies its location just 40 miles north of the bustling streets of Manhattan. The valley is home to upscale professionals and retirees. They tend to be well-educated and cosmopolitan, hardly the type of people you'd expect to be swept up by UFO fever. Yet that is exactly what happened to more than 5,000 area residents between 1983 and 1989. Let's head over to Hudson Valley, New York, Season 5, Episode 1. There's a lot of UFO sightings in the Hudson Valley in this episode, in 1992. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like the fucking festival of UFOs. So 5,000 residents in the Hudson River Valley reported like an unfathomable amount of UFO sightings between 83 and 89. Yeah, not like vague sightings either. Like, this is a big UFO. It was a very large object. The structure of it was very dark gray, metallic, almost girder type looking. What is it? The witnesses are including like high ranking local officials and rich people. None of these people were peons or Joe Schmoes like us. They go through the trouble at the start of the segment to say, oh, unlike most of our UFO segments, these aren't backwards yokels. Yeah, right, exactly. They're highly educated cosmopolitans. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, wow, Jesus Christ, dropping the shade. Yeah, yeah. yep. <laughs> these aren't lower middle class people. I'll yeah. Tell you. yeah. <laughs> these are real people who saw this UFO. Okay. Yeah. And like the accounts wound up being so vivid. So you're like, wow, hmm, I wonder if this really happened. Well, I mean, there's no denying that there was something in the sky. I mean, it's just a matter of what you think it was. Right. And they were saying that it was like as big as a football field and it had these like girders. It was like industrial looking, a lot, oh, lot of colorful lights and stuff. But no, It looked like a Christmas tree. They, yeah, yeah. But they said that there was like no engine, no sound like or hum. It was just silent. It was a triangular chevron ship, and the back of that chevron had to be as large as a football field, at least. It was one solid piece of a chevron shape, and there was no noise. What came to my mind was Close Encounters. It almost feels like the entire city there was kind of like unanimously decided to just remake that movie. <laughs> exactly. It's like, let's just all claim yeah. that this fucking football field-sized spaceship. It's rolling up on the boulevard. It's driving slow. It's yep. got the, the top down. 
it's not making any moves to hide itself. It's, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just basically like, they're saying, oh, if we threw a rock in the sky, yeah. we would hit it. I'm like, yeah. how the hell it's, is a football field-sized UFO just like a thousand feet in the air? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, and like this thing was like, it was basically doing like a wave, like it was waving to the crowd like it was in a parade. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. When they do the reenactment, I mean, this is Unsolved Mystery. It's not like a fucking $100 million movie. Yeah. So the way they construct the cg ufo i mean it literally looks like it's on the ground with the people it's a pretty incredible story it is i mean there's a pretty big butt which to this point you've left out but yeah i mean it's incredible story for sure well are you going to talk about the police dispatcher no i'm going to talk about what i mean what that ufo probably actually was right okay so the i think the police dispatcher alluded to what it was and the whole city started to get told by authorities that it was a bunch of planes in unison basically flying together in that shape flying in formation but the thing is when they when they reenact the formation it looks exactly like the ufo so i mean i don't see how it's not that however other eyewitnesses counter that the unusual lights they had seen were nothing more than small airplanes flying in wedge-shaped formations. Even when you see planes flying in formation, does it really look like one solid object? That's something that you really have to think about. Wow, so you're a believer, huh? You're buying this. Let me tell you the kind of sequence when you're watching this, okay? You're kind of going along with all these stories, and then you start thinking to yourself, there's actually no chance that aliens don't exist. Yeah. And then the police dispatcher comes on and he's like, no, there's actually no chance that this happened. This was just a bunch of planes flying in unison. Uh, I'm not saying you're lying or that you're wrong, (laughs) but you are wrong and you are lying. (laughs) And they're calling. I'm not saying that you didn't see something. I'm just saying you're wrong about what it was. (laughs) Uh, Mars, I mean, I don't know the solar systems, but what I had witnessed that night was not from this planet. This is really where Stack rises to the occasion because all of this happens and he's got like this really snarky attitude. Because Oh, that's right. Because at the end, he's like, oh, we asked the Air Force and the Air Force said, get in touch with the other guys. And the other guys said, get in touch with the Air Force. And, and then he just like, he's like, he sighs. <sighs> it's so subtle, but yet profoundly obvious that he thinks this is <laughs> Bullshit. Oh yeah. Oh no. Um he is famous he was famously ambivalent about yeah. the kind of like cockamamie stuff that yeah. Unsolved Mysteries used to cover. Yep. But I'll tell you something, this one actually got me to call nine one one once. Are you serious? Yeah, I was on my old back deck and I heard what sounded like a helicopter, but like right above my head. So I run to the front of the house and I look out the front window and in the distance I see red and green lights that look just like the ones from this segment. Oh my like God. in the air. Yeah. So, I mean, it obviously had to be a helicopter, but I'm like, what, 10 or so at the time. So I called 911 and I'm like, I think I just saw a UFO. (laughs) They must have loved that one. I hung up after like three sentences because they were not taking it. So then you had like cops come to your house because they dispatched no matter what. I They didn't come to the house, but I definitely did worry that they were going to because I totally hung up on them. Really? They like always show up if you call. Well, I don't know. I mean, this was like, what, 90-something? Did they have, like, caller ID that way back then? I didn't say, hey, I'm at this address. I just said, I just saw a UFO. Oh, you're right. Wow. They, holy crap. They didn't have caller ID. Well, no, I think 911 has caller ID, don't they? Look, I, I know you're in the mood You're in the mood to poke <laughs> holes after all these, all these uh, segments, but my story is true. It's not interesting enough for me to make up. There's no ending. I just called and hung up. If I was going to make something up, I would have something more uh, entertaining to tell you, Jay. The real Matt would have said, yes, the cops did come. And then they asked me questions if I had been setting houses on fire and taping it. (laughs) The honky talk man! In preparing to film this story, Unsolved Mysteries asked the alleged hoaxers to recreate one of their flights during daylight hours. No one was willing to be publicly identified. This may be because when flown at night, some of the maneuvers violate FAA regulations. According to Tony Capaldi, most of the formation flights took place on Thursday nights, 
It is interesting to note that less than one-third of the UFO sightings occurred on Thursday nights. The men in black are one of the most perplexing mysteries we've ever come across. Cloaked in secrecy, they show up without warning, state their business, then vanish as quickly as they appeared. No one knows who the men in black are, where they come from, or who they represent. There's no real proof that they even exist. But hundreds of eyewitness accounts give us good cause to investigate this most unusual phenomenon. So by nature of what it was, Unsolved Mysteries didn't usually get to be too topical. But in 1997, they managed to get a Men in Black segment out there just two months before the Will Smith movie, Jay. I love this segment. Yeah, on streaming networks, this is Season 9, Episode 17. And I guess this was like a cash-in segment. It's really loose. It's totally bonkers. But I remember watching this back in 97, and it got me. It's absolutely tremendous, and I honestly, I don't remember ever seeing this one, but when you said this is going to be on your list, I watched it, and I was, wow. I was just in awe. I mean, it is an awe-inspiring thing, but it's so goofy. Well, that's what I'm saying. I I was in awe of how goofy it is. Yeah. So (laughs) when you hear Men in Black, you think of like the top secret government agents in the black suits and the sunglasses, and they're in this segment, of course, but the thing is like... They're just not acting the way you would expect Men in Black to act. They're like in The Sopranos, basically. Oh, God. It is. It is. <laughs> They're like, give me your ID. <laughs> so you have this one guy who had seen UFOs, and he swears that the Men in Black sent him on a goose chase to a non-existent IRS office as a diversion so they could ransack his house. And I'm just not really sure I was buying that one, Jay. Yes? I have a summons. Summons? Internal Revenue Service. Am I being audited? Just show up. So they ransacked his VHS collection to look for his UFO tape that he made. Yeah, but I mean, do you think that the Men in Black would drop off that obviously fake IRS flyer and set up an entire office (laughs) in a building to act as a diversion so they could go raid your tape collection? (laughs) It's a stretch. It's ridiculous, but that whole story was ridiculous. So the coolest thing about this segment is that it portrays the men in black as possibly not human. Yes. So you got this one woman who gives a testimony, and it's probably the shakiest testimony in the entire show. Well, the thing is, there's no testimony. There's nothing. There's the, nothing. The, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I don't know if that's her fault. She did probably a longer interview. Maybe more happened, and they just cut it down to the real bare bones. But what she describes is literally passing a guy in a suit in the street, and in those five seconds, determining that he had a plastic face. When I, when I looked up, what I saw was a very tall, lanky man walking towards me, but he seemed out of place and, and quite odd. His skin to me did not look normal. You couldn't see any uh, facial hair or if he had shaved or any imperfections. It was a smooth, shiny, plastic-looking jaw. So she was an ice skater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she. this was a, probably an acting gig for her because this doesn't seem true at all. She's walking down the street, and she sees a guy who she describes as having, like you said, a plastic face. And she felt like a feeling of dread come over her. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, what if this guy has a really high quality moisturizing regimen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's in Manhattan. He could be one of the one of those metrosexuals, whatever they call them. Yeah. He probably looked like a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. He had the Armani suit. He had just gone to the Baba. He probably smelled awesome. CK1, baby. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's, and this is no offense to the woman, I'm sure she gave a longer interview that had more details, but on Unsolved Mysteries, it's literally someone saying, oh, I passed the guy on the street, thought he looked like a man in black, can I be on TV? She passed the guy with a trench coat and sunglasses and a hat. (laughs) That's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's wild, but it's also really gripping because they're basically telling you that the men in black are themselves aliens. There are also... I believe, men in black that 
are non-human in origin who have taken upon themselves the job in order to do the same thing that the human men in black are. In other words, to silence or to control the output of information regarding the UFO phenomenon. And they're trying to kind of purge all the information about aliens from the universe. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I mean, pretty much by way of uh, issuing phony IRS flyers. <laughs> by the way, just to go back to that. So the, the guy, they hand him the IRS flyer and he looks at the paper and then he looks back up and they've all mysteriously vanished into thin air. And then he's still like, you know what? They still might be IRS people. So I better go to this building with all my tax papers. Give me a break. So in the reenactments, they come off more like robots from Halloween 3, which is why they're so creepy to me. They totally did. <laughs> like the first guy they interviewed, he, he had his own local cable access show about UFOs. So him making it on Unsolved Mysteries to talk about his UFO experience yeah. is probably huge. Well, I mean, here's the thing. He's like, oh, what reason would I have to lie? I'm like, well, you just gave us 18 plugs for your various <laughs> UFO projects, dude. <laughs> And your VHS collection. <laughs> you sell fucking t-shirts with your logo on them. <laughs> you, gotta, you, you got a dog in the hunt. I think the best part about that segment is at the end of it, they basically said that the verdict was that they had overactive imaginations. Yeah, I would say that is a, uh, a the most likely <laughs> explanation that doesn't involve calling them outright liars. I, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's freaking ridiculous. This, <laughs> this segment is just off the rails, but I mean, that's what's so great. It's so preposterous that you love it. Yeah, overactive imaginations. Thank you, Captain Obvious. It's almost like they, they'll, all the people that were in on it just sat with the producers and like, look. Talking about guys in suits, it's just not enough. Can we doll this up anyway? And they're like, well, what if they had plastic faces? <laughs> and then one of them could send me to the fucking IRS. We asked the Air Force and the Department of Defense if there were covert units that fit the MO of the men in black. The Air Force issued a blanket denial. The Department of Defense said, we've never heard of such a thing. Then added, you might try the Air Force. came from the skies to wreak havoc on the earth. Strange blob-like droplets that look something like this. It sounds like a bad science fiction movie, but for a small town in the Pacific Northwest, there was nothing entertaining or fictional about the scourge that befell them in 1994. Six times it rained down from above, leaving dozens of local residents ill and several pets and small animals dead. Next up for me, Matt. Season 9, Episode 6, The Blob, from 1997. Hmm. Oh, this is not exactly a famous episode, but it's so us. It really is. And this is uh, kind of a short segment, and we go to Oakville, Washington, summer 1994. And the story is almost like something out of a Stephen King novel. Over a three-week period, it rained toxic blobs of goo six times. Six times. Six times. They yeah. blobbed them six times. Yes. <laughs> so, unfortunately, dogs and cats died from this toxic goo, and people were getting, like, really badly ill for, like, weeks from mm. these gooey droplets from the sky. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, basically like a plague on this town. It was. And it was over the span of like 20 square miles. These gooey drops were coming down and they looked like clear jello, like mushy kind of, um, you know, that when you get a gift card and you peel that clear glue off. Oh, God. Sometimes I like buy that. gift cards just so I could do that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I try to put it back and do it a second time, but it's never the same. And then if you can't get it off perfectly neat, then it's not good. No, they, you have to deduct points from your performance. <laughs> so these people were getting this flu from this that would last for like months. So when it began pouring on the morning of August 7th, 1994, no one was particularly concerned until they realized it wasn't raining rain. It was raining tiny blobs of gelatinous goo. Whether the goo was responsible or not, I mean, it certainly seems like a likely candidate given that it rained on them six times and we eventually find out that it's not just harmless. 
it started to happen to people who it t- actually touched their skin or they touched it themselves and then it was kind of infecting them. These people seem to have a lot of trouble keeping their hands off the stuff. That's like, exactly. that's like if, if it started raining goo here, I don't think my, like, they're fucking diving in it. There's a scene where a cop is literally wiping his windshield with his hand. Yeah. Then we have the senior citizen, Dottie, who went outside and saw these little blobs. And she's like, oh, it's hail and immediately touched it. <laughs> like, was that what you would do if you saw hail? It looked like hail laying on top of the wood box and everywhere else. So I just went over and I touched it and it wasn't hail. It was a gelatinous like material. So she explained it as gelatinous instead of gelatinous. That sounds like how you would pronounce it. Let me see if I can. No, can't try. I love Dottie. Yeah. So everybody started like getting real sick. Dottie vomited. She had blurred vision. She got vertigo. And they said she had an ear infection, right? So then Dottie's daughter brought the sample to the hospital and they found human white blood cells in this goo. Mike McDonald discovered that the sample was literally teeming with two species of bacteria, one of which makes its home in the human digestive system. Yeah, I mean, essentially the goo is a human waste product of some sort. Yeah, because they found human bacteria from the digestive system in this goo. Which would indicate, more or less, that it is shit. The goo is shit. (laughs) The goo is poo. Yeah. You would think that would be the case. But (laughs) the theory that the, I guess the Air Force or the um, Department of the whatever, (laughs) says that they were possibly doing these sort of practice bomb drops and it obliterated a school of jellyfish who got sucked up into the clouds in lots of tiny pieces and then sprinkled over the atmosphere 50 miles away as rain. And of course, this jellyfish would have been thrown up into the air um, and floated 50 miles inland, fallen six times. I find that somewhat preposterous. Even the people in the segment were like just <laughs> just dumbfounded. You have Dottie or maybe another elderly resident. Excuse me, if this was jellyfish, I would have expected it to stink. Exactly. Then they started to think, well, maybe if the Air Force is confirming that they were doing practice bombing, this could have been a test of germ warfare or biological weapons. Yeah, I mean, look... The NSA might have gotten involved if someone tipped them off that Unsolved Mysteries was going to claim outright that they were doing a germ warfare test in a U.S. city. Yeah, I mean, can you... So they don't give that one a whole lot of credence on the show. <laughs> so what do you think about this? Like, do you think it was a plane? that? Because they, they debunked the plane dropping their uh, number two all over the place yeah. because they said that it, they have to dye that blue. Okay, well, before I get to the plane part, I just have to say I admire your restraint in describing this whole thing, because if you wanted to get in the gutter, the sky raining a bunch of milky white slime definitely gave you some material. Well, it so was it was clear. It you're, was... You're, you're classing it up here tonight, Jack. <laughs> uh, the plane thing. So they're basically saying, oh, it can't be waste from a plane because waste from a plane is dyed blue. But it basically looks like waste from a plane that just didn't get the dye. So I obviously think it's that what the fuck else could it be then that might be a little bit brownish no they probably just had some kind of like a bad fucking wiring in their shit dying chemicals and that's what happened head full of bad wiring yeah (laughs) i mean what do you think it could have been i mean they're saying it's literally living human waste slime dripping from the sky i mean it's got to come from somewhere I don't know, man. I think I think I might buy that jellyfish story. The jellyfish story is preposterous. <laughs> I love like the the people in the town are so insulted by the insinuation that they've been rained on by dead jellyfish. Like, no, no, no. You're not gonna take that angle, Rob. Now, if that were jellyfish uh, floating around up there for that long, they would have smelled a high heaven. All I know is it's the freaking weirdest segment ever. And, it's so weird. And the way they produced this was like, wow, they did a great job. Somebody must have been squirting this gelatinous goo everywhere. It's 
everywhere. It's yeah. like it's to the point where you wonder: Are they taking some creative license, or was the town really was drenched? it really? Yeah, did they get good footage of this while it was happening? Yeah, because I mean, it's fucking everywhere. It's it's like insane to believe that this could ever happen anywhere. But yeah, this town got good. <laughs> And the best thing about this segment is that Robert Stack uses the word goo like 50 times. <laughs> he actually, he like, he even uses the word degoo. Yes, he does say degoo. De to degoo his windshield. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the one time you will hear Robert Stack say degoo. At present, it's impossible to say what the strange goo was or where it came from. Unfortunately, all samples of the substance are gone, making further study impossible. Perhaps the answer will come someday soon, when the skies open up over another small community and the blobs once again fall to earth. So that was our Unsolved Mystery show. I had fun with this one, Jay. Did you? Yeah, I had a great time. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get into our stuff. Uh, yeah. I know you watched the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. I did. What were your thoughts, like, knowing that we have all this greatness in all those seasons prior, and then they did this? What are your thoughts on it? Look, I'm going to like shows like that no matter what. So I liked it. I enjoyed it. But... I feel like if they were going to call themselves Unsolved Mysteries and brand themselves as a reboot, they probably should have done a little more to kind of sell that atmosphere. Yeah, totally. I feel like it, it wasn't really Unsolved Mysteries. It could have been any any type of Netflix crime documentary or something like that. You know? Right, which is not totally unexpected, but they could have broken it up with a little more graphics or, or maybe put a little more into the music. They certainly could have had voiceover, all that kind of stuff. Or just get a host, you know? I mean, come on. Yeah, I think yeah. We, we actually were coming up with hosts. I, I pitched Mark Hamill. I still think that would have been great. Would have been fantastic, yeah. No, on then, the other hand, they're, in this show, like they're really getting into some ghastly stuff. So it's like you almost don't want to like it because it's not the kind of stuff you want to enjoy. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel as fictional. I, yeah, as opposed to like people people getting sick from goo and arson fires. Like this was just heavy stuff. They could have easily did an unsolved mystery presents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With I think yeah. that would have been uh, much more appropriate. Totally. So uh, before we wrap things up, we want to give a little shout out to the Perhaps It's You podcast. They are friends of ours, and they do an unsolved mysteries episode. I think every Thursday or something. And you can find them at perhapsitsyou.com. Great show. And uh, now then, Jay, I got a question for you. We've covered six segments tonight. I'm going to give you a budget of 10 mil and a contract with Blumhouse. Which of our six segments are you going to make a movie out of? Wow, that is awesome. That's an awesome question. Which one would I make a movie out of? Hmm. $10 million. Tough okay. one. Yeah, we had the Stockton, California arsonist who made his little videotape. The Tallmans, bring out the Tallmans, you bring out the best. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of, yes. Uh, Men in Black, they already never, made a never, movie that's of that. That one's never been a movie, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the ice skater could get her own freaking movie. <laughs> she looked like a movie star, let's be real. It could just be her doing a bunch of things and saying they happened, but they really didn't. Yeah, she, like she it'd just be like her a regular situation comedy, but there'll always be men in black lurking around. <laughs> she goes food shopping, she goes dancing, she goes to work. They're just there. Oh, we had Ogopogo, we had uh, Hudson Valley UFOs, and of course the Blob. The Blob. Oh boy. Oh man, this is um, it's gonna be tough. I like the Hudson Valley UFOs, but I mean, that's your standard UFO story. Yeah. It, I it, mean, that tale's been told. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. This is fun, man. This is a good idea. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> it's such a dick. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Just give me your answer, asshole. <laughs> no, I am. I, I'm being sincere. All right, Sal, sincere. All right, so... Man, this this Tallman is is just ripe. 
it's right, but it's been done also. You know, you had Amityville, The Conjuring. Yeah, I mean, it, it has, but... House. I mean, you could approach it a little differently if you wanted to. Unless we call it the haunted bunk bed in the oh, basement. You down with HBB? <laughs> oh, man. All right, you know what? I am going to go with The Arsonist. That is a sh- shock. <laughs> October. That is really uh, surprising. <laughs> yeah. I, it didn't even occur to me to make a movie out of that. I mean, obviously, you're going to editorialize. You're going to come up with a new, whoever the identity is of this arsonist is not going to be some kid. Well, let's be real here. The most frightening, legitimately, and you're absolutely right, it was the arsonist because that was real life and it was very scary. Yeah. No, I mean, it was totally frightening. And as a kid, it completely destroyed me. I was convinced that this was going to happen to us or at least to somebody around us. So it put me on guard. Yeah. Uh, well, how about you? If you had the, are you still going to get, what was it? 18 mil? Uh, 10 mil. Oh, 10. I mean, oh, I, ju- you go I just 18, upped you to 18, but you yeah, got a bigger wanna, budget. I'll yeah. take it. I'll, t- I'll give you a better movie. Oh yeah. You're going to get the 18 mil then. I'm giving it to you. The um, Tallman house was definitely in the running for me. But, I mean, like you said, it is kind of like the Conjuring Universe movies. Yeah. I can't believe you're not going with the one I am, which is The Blob. The Blob! The Blob! (laughs) Dottie, go shopping for a new car, because I'm going to tell you a story, baby. (laughs) See, I have to be honest with you. I did think about it, but then I'm like, all right, well, this is more like an episode of the new Twilight Zone on the CBS streaming app. I grant you that it is, but I mean, <laughs> the the content of the segment is like straight out of a horror movie anyway. I'm surprised nobody's done a movie based on this. You know why? Because nobody wants to see a movie about people getting sick because that's <laughs> we live it every day. <laughs> Look, in my version of the movie, yes, the government messes up and rains globs of slime on an entire town. But in the movie, it turns people into mutants. Well, you don't yeah. get sick. You turn into a monster. A jellyfish monster, and you can't make a movie for 18 mil without adding those jellyfish in. Because as the producer, I'm going to be like, listen, heavier on the jellyfish. You know what I'm saying? You've heard of a Chekhov's gun? This is Dottie's jellyfish. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my vote, The Blob. So we have uh, new movies coming out in 2025 when the world reopens. The Blob and The Stockton Arsonist. Okay, look. Stranger things have happened than someone saying, hey, I am going to produce these two movies. Can you guys do it? Without a doubt, if somebody was going to offer us the money to do this, I without a doubt think you and I could make these movies. For $18 million? Yeah. I'll make you no, any fucking movie you want. No, I, mine was $10 million, so I'd have to do it on a, on a lower budget. You would, but I mean, all you need is like a house frame and some gasoline. You're, you're set. You don't even need a fucking lighting kit, Jay. <laughs> yeah, but we need to pay the firemen like 24-7. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yep. they need to be on, the, on your, your insurance will be through the roof. Yeah, it's going to be all the catering. You know, yeah, come on. Yeah, craft services alone, baby. <laughs> that's two mil. But look what I mean. You gave me 18 million. Sure, but look at what I have to pull off. I have to rain... Goo. Goo. <laughs> Constantly goo. Goo all over an entire town. I have to <laughs> cast the perfect Dottie. I mean, I have my work cut out for me. <laughs> oh, if B. Arthur was always still alive. Oh, my God. I'm, <laughs> you know, I got, if I have a few mil left over, maybe I can do that Livia Soprano season three thing. <laughs> oh, Dottie had way more life than her. Oh, boy. Dottie oh, was Dottie. a delight in comparison. Delightful right? Dottie. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, thank you very much for uh, being with us. This was a lot of fun. Glad we got this one off our list, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to do this show finally. Yeah, we thank you for listening. Had a great time. As a reminder, we are also on Patreon, where this month you can grab two bonus shows, the first of which is still up. We talked about some of our favorite lunchbox snacks. Yes, we did. It was a great episode. A lot of fun being nostalgic for lunchtime. Yeah, that's at uh, patreon.com slash purple stuff. So this has been the Purple Stuff Podcast. I am Jay from Sludge Central. And I am Matt from Dinosaur Dracula. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Purple Stuff Podcast.